Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. So, summer holidays. We're still in them. I was about to go, we're all going on <laughs> summer. And you are. You're you're preparing for your lovely little trip. Two weeks off. Yeah. Going to be lovely. Gonna yeah. Be, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my is. gosh, yeah. It's going to be incredible. Do you know what? It's my last week on breakfast, so I'm savouring every moment. Because even though the 4.30 starts are hard, I, I love it so much. It's just, as I always say every week, it's the best thing I do all year. I just adore it. But it does mean on Friday, we get to get on a plane and we get to go with two weeks. I'm going to spend every day with the kids and dolls. I cannot wait. No leaving them, no feelings of guilt, no thinking I'm being a terrible mother and terrible at work. And, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be able to be present and be in the sunshine. And I know that, you know, lots of people are, are working their socks off and don't get to have the break. So I'm going to be, I feel very grateful that I'm going to get to do it for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? It's good. So I, oh God, dun, dun, dun. I'm actually having some surgery this week. So that's not that fun. Oh God, what are you having? Um, I'm having my teeth my surgery on my mouth my canines are in the roof of my mouth behind a bone so I'm having general anesthetic <sighs> to have them like exposed and then technically they will p- put like I don't know like a bolt on them and some chains behind my teeth bolt and chains you should not go to some sort of weird <laughs> S&M club S&M. no to pull them down I mean like actually I think I prefer to be having the surgery than going to an S&M club if I'm on it. Uh, uh, that, what? Uh, <laughs> I think I'll take the general anesthetic actually <laughs> over, over that. Georgia, um, is that going to be painful? Yeah, it's going to be painful. I'm not going to be able to eat for quite a few weeks. Um, I've also got Axel's seventh birthday party on Saturday. So that's going to be quite a lot to take after having had the surgery on the Thursday. But, you know, it's going to be worth it in the end. Like I keep telling myself, wish I'd just gone to Turkey and got a full set of veneers. Not going to lie. <laughs> but <laughs> we here we you are. You could have got your veneers done. I could have got my tits done. We could have done bog off. One for the two for the price of one. We could. Why didn't we? Why didn't we think of that? (laughs) Oh, but anyway, yeah. So that's me. Not not so fun. But seven years of parenting. I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow. I've actually. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. And it's it's mad to think that our kids have grown up on this podcast as we've, you know, Mm. as we as every single episode that we've done they've got older and now we are seven years I mean it's it's six years since we launched Made by Mamas I can't believe it I know and I know and like we met what nearly like seven and a half years ago yeah something like that it's it's actually yeah it's mad it's scary actually I don't want to be a cliche but the time is really going fast and the good thing is George is that you and I will never develop the seven year seven year itch so we will be fine. I ain't getting with you. I might with Axel. I'm getting the seven year itch with him, but not you. Right. A, a beautiful conversation for you guys listening today. Uh, one that we want desperately for you to hear. And um, I tell you what, uh, I didn't expect us to go where we went with this guest, mm. actually. But what a life at home she has and what an incredible, incredible person. Um, wow. I knew I knew of her from watching her on Fame Academy all those Same. years ago. But I, I until I started, until we started having the conversations about her and her setup at home and her, her amazing children and what's happened to them, the amazing journey they've been on. I had no idea, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because I was do- before the before the episode and before the interview, we obviously do like quite a bit of research to find out about them. And when you sort of 
go through all the topics that we can cover with this guest. There is so much. And you can, I sort of went into it thinking it might be quite heavy, I guess, like quite a heavy topic. And, and it mm. is. And it's a very, like, there is so much in there that is very serious. But I love the po- positive spin that she puts on everything. Yeah. It's like reframing how we talk about things, reframing how we look at things. And I just, I really loved that from her. Mm. Um, she, even though she's been through so much she's really positive about the whole situation it's all about you know how she can support her children and and sort of getting the best from them and all of that stuff which I love yeah and also Georgia and I felt very much that no question was off topic which makes chatting to somebody about subjects like this so much easier because let's be honest we're all here to educate ourselves and to learn more and um, I think today's guest well, she taught me a whole heap. So let's get into the conversation. Georgia, who are we talking to today? We are chatting to the absolutely brilliant Carrie Grant. So please welcome to the podcast, the absolutely wonderful Carrie Grant. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Oh, how are you this morning? I'm good. Like, you know, every morning in my house is a bit crazy, but all my children are on school holidays or at work and that's actually quite a rare thing so I almost got a lion. Are you one of those mothers that relishes every moment with your children or when they go to school do you think I can actually have a moment to myself now? Be honest. I um so I think the first time I had a moment to myself was about was about three years ago I remember Mm. being in the house on my own and that was the first time in 10 years that I'd been in the house on my own. Oh wow. So when you're raising children that have got special educational needs and you've got four of them, chances are that one of them will be out of school or something's going on. So, um, yeah, I'm never, ever, I never, ever have time on my own. That's just how it wow. is for, for parents like you, cause you've got So you've got four children and I, am I right in saying the oldest is 28? Is that right? Yeah. Just for, just for listeners who don't know, like what is your setup? Just take us through. Right. Okay. So uh, I had babies in my 20s, 30s and 40s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I adopted or we I should say we we adopted and um so Olive is 28 years old uh is an actor on telly and in film and in all sorts and they their pronouns are they them and they are what else can I say about them oh they have ADHD and dyspraxia so they my children will got they're all just neuro spicy uh my next child down is Tylen uh his pronouns are he him uh, Truth Trans, and he is autistic and has dyscalculia, and he's an actor as well, and he's in Hollyoaks. Uh, my next child down is Arlo, who's 17, pronouncy they, and he's autistic and has ADHD, um, okay. which, is an, which is a nice uh, an interesting combo. And then my fourth child is Nathan, and he is 13, and he has What's he got? He's got ADHD and a thing called DMDD, which is disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Yeah. Wow. So there, there, there is a lot. There are so many things to unpick there. And, and this is why I think this conversation is going to be such a beautiful one. Um, and one that myself and Georgia, and I know that everybody listening is really excited to have and hear today. Um, so we obviously know you from, um, you know, being on our telly screen such a long time ago, you guys kind of burst onto the screens as vocal coaches. And at what point after that, you know, becoming kind of well-known household names, did you decide, Mm -hmm. right, it's time for us to start a family? So we started a family before all of that. We had our first child in 1994 and Fame Academy, but actually Pop Idol was the first kind of TV break in terms of coaching. And that was in 2001. Okay. So we just had our second child when that happened and that like we continued to do all the TB coaching for a number of years uh, before kind of branching out into other areas. But um, yeah, so by the time, I mean, I, I'd ha- I had three children. I was, we were still doing Fame Academy. So um, yeah, that, that took, that took a long, I mean, Fame Academy lasted for yeah. five or six years. Yeah, yeah. It, it was massive, wasn't it? Everyone watched it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I love absolutely loved it. So you, so you've got three children, and you're doing Fame Academy at the time. So you've mentioned you've gone through each of you know their is it called it's neuro neuro neurodivergent 
what would you yes. call it? Yeah, yeah neurodivergence. Yeah. yeah. By the way, by the way, just all that kind of, it's really hard to introduce them because it sounds like just a whole string of labels. And yeah. my children are so much more than their yeah. labels. Yes. But, yeah. With your first child, when was it that you realised that there was a difference or something different and your parenting journey wasn't going to yeah. be, I guess, how we all imagine yeah. it to be? Yeah, that's such a good question, Georgia, because I think it is with that first child because all you know is what you've got. Unless you've grown up with like cousins or you're, you're like the much older child in a family line, you've got young, really much younger siblings. This is your first experience. I'd never held a baby. I was 29 years old when I had yeah. Olive. And so for me, I just thought, well, Olive, Olive's, how Olive is, which is like really bouncy, um, is really normal and distracted. And that's really normal. So for me, it was normal. It didn't really show up until Olive started school. And then... I just kept getting called in. It was like, oh, Mrs. Grant, can I have a word? And in the end, I was like ducking down, you know, like, please don't pick me, pick somebody else. <laughs> we all do that. We all do that, yeah. Carrie. Yeah. And I am literally that parent every single day. It's like, could I just have a word was every single day for the last 25 years. Yeah. So it just meant that I began to, I think to begin with, I didn't really know anything about it. So I didn't really ask questions. I wasn't curious because... For me, my child was just normal. And my child, the thing that didn't really add up was that my child at home, Olive at home was really compliant and a really good kid and was the type of child that you would find back then, how I parented this is, I'd find Olive on the naughty step and I'd be like, why are you on the naughty step? And Olive would be like, I stole sweets from the cupboard. So they would put themselves on the naughty step? Yeah, absolutely. Like really compliant, really like hated doing anything wrong. Was just, you know, a really good kid, but really bouncy and really loud and very distracted and didn't focus on things unless they were absolutely interested in them. So that, you know, it was at school. And what happens is that a disproportionate number of black and mixed race children if they present at school with behaviours that challenge or are slightly different, they get sent. There are two pathways you can get sent down. One is SEMH, which is social, emotional, mental health. And the other pathway is SEND, which is special educational needs and disability. Mm -hmm. So a disproportionate number of black and mixed race children are sent down the social, emotional and mental health route, which is kind of what happened to Olive. So they would be more likely to go, it's something in the family, something's going on at home. Uh, rather than saying, actually, this is a neurodivergence, this is something that's a brain issue. So Olive was diagnosed late at the age of 18. No one ever thanks you for a late diagnosis because it's really difficult. You realise that actually you've just spent your whole life thinking you're useless and not good enough and no. you don't fit. And there's actually a reason for for all of that. And and so, yeah. So with your first child, you have no idea though. You're kind of, you're 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 just shooting into the wind really yeah what were the school years like for olive because i can't imagine for 18 years or you know always getting phone calls and you know being told you're not doing things in in a normal way or you're not behaving in the correct way how what sort of impact did that have on not with you guys but also olive i think for for first of all for us as parents i think we were very much siding with the school because we were we really we're naturally scared of authority david and i so you know, if someone says you're you're not allowed to do that, we're like, oh yeah, we're not allowed to do that. So we <laughs> we would get Olive home and be like, right, you need to concentrate even harder. Why were you so distracted? Why were you looking out the window? Why were you bouncing off the walls? And um, it wasn't really until we discovered the other, the younger children's issues that we suddenly went, hell and no, we just ignored this. This is terrible. So Olive, I think, has spent a lot of their adult life just trying to work out how to get through the trauma of school. And and this is the same probably for all four of my children is that for many children who struggle with either their mental health or neurodivergence or just being different in any way, they come out of school traumatized, which is not the right start to life. Mm. So the work that you have to put in as parents to kind of ground your child and teach them that they're amazing and they're worth something and that they've got something to offer and that their life is purposeful, all of that just comes from the parents because it's not coming from anywhere else. outside of the home. It's always, it's difficult when they go to school because they don't fit. So you got the diagnosis with Olive and then just just tell us, you know, what happened afterwards with your, your youngest yeah. two at the, at the time. So it was in 2009, so they were diagnosed before Olive. So in 2009, my three-year-old Arlo and my seven-year-old Tylan 
were diagnosed on the same day. So David and I went out. Um, we got an NHS diagnosis for Arlo, but at the same time, we did a private diagnosis assessment, uh, which sounds crazy, but the waiting list can be up to seven mm. years. Yeah. So, God. you know, no one wants to wait. That's the whole child's pretty much their whole childhood once they've started school, isn't it? So we sat in a field out in Berkhampstead where they were being assessed. And we sat with this knowledge of, okay, our children are autistic, these two children. And I think we didn't really understand what that word even meant. It felt like this big weight had put on us and we had to process what that meant. But I think the nature of David and I is that we are people who like to make meaning from whatever's happening. So we were like, okay, so we've got these incredible kids that are autistic. They're fabulously autistic. They're wonderfully autistic. And these are the, they're quir the quirky people are always the people that David and I have probably most related to when we've been working mm. with artists it's always the singers that record companies have come to us and said oh my gosh we can't do anything with this singer they're like chewing up vocal coaches and, and spitting them out and we've been like bring them to us We're, we love we love <laughs> we'll the quirky ones we, yeah we like that we like the ones that are a bit more challenging and so you know I think I think that initial kind of wow what does this mean kind of probably took a few months to settle in but I think we were we were generally really positive. I love people who are different. I love I love difference. I think difference is one of the most incredible things. It makes the human race the mo most incredible human race because we're different. What What was a really hard part for you? Because I I imagine if I put myself in in your shoes or I think about my own children, I would I would initially I think feel maybe potentially quite scared for them. Uh, you know, what does their life look like? How are they going to make connections? Will they be bullied? You know, there are so many so many aspects of the modern world that can impact a child who's been given a diagnosis like mm. that. So did any of that go through your head? That's, again, Zoe, that's so amazing because everything you said there relates to how the outside world will respond to your child. And yeah. that's why awareness needs to be raised because... It's actually not the child's issue. It's the outside world's issue. Yeah. You know, the opposite of the word belong is fitting in. And and it's not not belonging. The opposite of belonging is fitting in. And so our children feel like I've got to somehow fit in. And the only way I can do that is to mask who I am. So I can't show up as who I am. I have to go to school every day and pretend I'm like everybody else. And after a while, that impacts their mental health and so the biggest issue for many of our children certainly who are on the autism spectrum is that their mental health is impacted not because of their autism but because of the outside world's response to them mm. and so the biggest issues the hardest part for me has always been my children's mental health and trying to navigate what feels like impossible systems you know some schools have been amazing and some schools have been diabolical some health services have been amazing some health services have been diabolical. And I think mm. that's that's the problem for many of our children is that is that the judgment of others and not having friends and being left out and not fitting yes. means that, you know, it affects how they feel about themselves. And when you are as parents doing everything you can to build your child's self-esteem, like I'm sure you you guys do that. You want to build your child's esteem up. You you want that child to know that they can go out into the world, that they can dream big dreams and be purposeful and that there's a place for them in the world. But if the world is telling them, there's no place for you here, it's quite hard for you as a parent. So yes, those have been the biggest pains, have really been trying to work with our kids and saying, no matter what people tell you, you still you can still make a difference. You can still get out there and you can still have purpose and and have a good life. Oh, I wow, love so that. powerful. You, mm. you mentioned um, mental health and the impact it can have on children's mental health if they don't feel like they fit in. Um, I've I've obviously heard you talk about one of your kids being on suicide watch, and if you don't mind, I would love Whoa. to hear like how how did you you know what do you think got you guys to that place? How, yeah. What helped? And how, you know, how yeah. have you got through that? Well, it's really interesting because one of the reasons why we wrote the book was because our community with neurodivergent children has been through a lot of this stuff and we kind of jump shit from the normal way of parenting. Many of us jump shit. Most of us jump shit because we have to. So all those kind of, this is how I'm going to raise my child 
and I'll put the boundaries in and then they'll do it and then I'll stick to it and I'll be resilient and then they'll be resilient. You have all these plans and then you realize that these children are not going to work to that order. So what happened was during lockdown, we realized that there are 40% more people being ref- children being referred to CAMS. We know that six children in every 30 in the classroom have now got mental health problems. We know that 80% Ugh. of 17 to 19 year olds says, said that their mental health has been really damaged by the, the uh, pandemic. So what we've got now is not just our vulnerable kids like mine, but potentially yours, children who are five years old with mental health problems. Mm. You've got neuro, no neurodivergence. They might come from a happy families that are doing really well, but actually life is not working right for these kids. So now we're trying to say, what do we do for these children who have really big struggles in their mental health? They can't, you won't access services unless your child has pretty much made an attempt on their life. So when you start to see signs for your child, the first thing you're going to do is you're probably going to go to your GP and you're going to go, I'm really worried about my child. They've talked, they're nine years old and they're talking about not wanting to live and why, and they're depressed or they're sad or they're low mood. However, their language they're using at that age, they're expressing that they're really struggling. We also know that a huge proportion of under 16 year olds are now self-harming. So how do we as parents meet that need when you will not get an appointment with your CAMS team. You won't get it unless they are absolutely in crisis, i.e. needing to go to hospital. CAMS team, Carrie, what does that stand for? Yeah, sorry, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, Children and Adolescent Mental Health Service. So these are like the mental health services for children and young people. Only a quarter of people that are referred get an appointment. Oh my God, that's statistic. So (sighs) 75% of children is going to be you that has to work this stuff out. Yeah, this is where we got to. Our child, Thailand, got to 13. We were, and Thailand started saying, I don't want to go to school. And I was like, they, the attendance officer, I'm so scared. They're going to come and they're going to find me and you know they're going to write me letters. And so I would be literally dragging Thai to school because I put my child's mental health as a less important point than the, my fear of the attendance officer. Mm. I've soon worked out that that was not the right way to to do things and that I would have to change the way I parented and I'd have to begin to advocate for my child and stand up for my child. So that's what we began to do as parents. And what happened was we ended up with a massive self-harm and Ty was on suicide watch six times in three years. And during that time, you know, how you, how you are as a parent changes. You know, you go to the school with your other child, other children, you're standing at the school gate. And I love the school mums and the dads. It's great where I live. And they would be going, oh, I'm just not sure if Johnny's going to get through his SATs. I might have to get a personal tutor. And I'd be standing there just going, I don't really care about SATs. I just want my child to live. I just want oxygen going in and carbon dioxide coming out. That's my, yeah. my levels are like, I don't care if they don't get an exam. I don't care what happens. I just need them to live. And when you've lived like that for three years, you are changed as a parent. And so what happens is, The way that we would normally parent our children with mental health challenges is that most parents will want to solve it. And Mm. particularly, let me say, I don't want to overgender it, but particularly dads, they're like, let me fix this. I'll come in with a good strategy. I've read this book now and this is what we're going to do. Or, you know, and equally mums, we're so desperate, aren't we, for our children to be okay. So of course we're going to do that. Of course we are. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that except that it doesn't work. So what mm. you find is that you, you're going to have to change the way that you parent. So I began to, I stopped saying I've got to solve it. And I began to try different things. So one thing I did was I would sit on the end of Thailand's bed. I'd go in and Thailand would have been about 14. So just a very cool teenager, actually incredibly cool kid. And Ty would just say, what are you doing sitting on the end of my bed? And I'd say, I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And they would look at their phone and then they'd go, okay, it's been a minute. Can you leave now? And I'd leave. We'd go back the next day and I'd sit there for a minute. And then after two or three days, they're like, are you going to do that weird thing when you sit on the end of my bed again? Be like, yeah, I'm just going to sit here. And after two weeks, they were really kind of accepting, but kind of bored of it. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you sitting there? Why are you being weird, mum? But after a couple of weeks, they then one day said, I'm really sad. I feel really low. And at that point, 
I could have jumped in with my hundred strategies from every book I'd read, but I decided not to. I decided to just hold the space for those really, really difficult feelings. And so I just said, I repeated what they said. I hear what you're telling me. You are really sad and you are really low. I can't change that as much as I'd love to. I can't change it. This is how you feel. But what I can do is I can sit with you in it. And I just sat there for like five minutes. And then I said, okay, I'm going to leave now. And every day I was going maybe twice a day and I would sit for five minutes just sitting with Ty in that space of sadness. I didn't try and fix it. I didn't try and change it. I just sat alongside it and bit by bit by bit by bit, we began to see changes. And I realized that this kind of what felt like a really passive strategy was really incredible. So we started doing it with our other children. Now, Thailand has since gone on to have really completely improved mental health, has been working for five years on Aliotes, and is having a great time and a great life. But Ty will sometimes say to me, Mum, can you just do that thing where you sit on the end of my bed? I love that thing. Mm, wow. And, um, That's beautiful. So it's not always about solving. Sometimes it's just sitting with. We'll be right back after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? Looking back, do you, and obviously all the all the work and I guess conversations that you've had, do you know now or can you identify what was going on in Ty's world at that moment that was making them feel that way? Yeah, like for many of our children, feeling that they'll never have friends, that they'll never be, amount to anything. I think one of the narratives that we have, there are two what I would call quite dangerous narratives. One is the school narrative, which says, these are the best years of your lives. Mm. Like, who said they're the best years of your yeah. lives? For my children, they're really not. They were the worst years of their lives. So Ty, that's something Ty started to say once Ty started work. And Hollyoaks sent everybody on two, two days autism training, which means that a lighting, rigor on, yeah, a lighting rigor on Hollyoaks has had more autism training than any teacher that ever taught Tynan. So just do the maths on that one, quite frankly. That's incredible. The days of your life. Yeah. And the other one is that, and this is one that I used to say, but I've really changed my mind on this, which is, I just want my child to be happy. Like, what does yeah. that mean? We want our child to be happy. Are you always happy? Probably no. not. I'm not always happy. So what we're doing is putting this unrealistic expectation on our children. I want my children to be whole because if they're whole, they will be able to deal with being unhappy accepting that life isn't always happy they'll have the resilience hopefully to get through those difficult times to sometimes experience really joyful and happy experience you know seasons and that's great but to just want happiness is like that I feel like feeds addiction it feels it's really unhealthy to always want our children to be happy well it's that really quick you know that's happiness versus fulfillment isn't it you know that happy that instant gratification where we're like oh I feel really amazing I feel really happy and then the next day you feel really underwhelmed and sad and yeah. low and yeah completely it is yeah because you're chasing the buzz aren't you yeah. if you if you if you yeah. have your expectation you should always feel like up here then you're constantly chasing chasing that buzz of feeling like that and you feel like there's something wrong when you don't feel like that and actually you probably just feel quite even at the time and yet we can never sit in our own sadness yeah yes. yeah <laughs> learning to sit with discomfort is like it's really hard but just sitting in it and if you've got someone who can hold that space with you that makes it better um 
and so that that to me I, I'm now I have a totally different attitude towards depression and it's not just about let me just get out of this it's like actually maybe there's something in this space that I'm meant to learn let me stay in it until it's time to get out because there will be I'm old I'm old enough now I'm an old lady now and I know that even in those low spaces there's always an opportunity that comes a few weeks in perhaps a few months in perhaps where you just go here's my moment it's time to get out okay I'm out of here but sometimes in that space there's gold to be had in that space there's things to learn there's you know it, you reach around in the dark and you're like hang on what's that in my hand and it's some gold nugget that you just learn that gives you wisdom that helps you through the next season of your life if you could go back to when olive was was a lot younger what 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 would you do diff like d- differently? There, there'd be loads of people listening to this who have got younger children, maybe two, three, four, yeah. and they might be thinking, "Oh, I, I, you know, I, I, they seem to be developing at a different rate to other children. They seem to be acting in different ways." What like what would you do? What would you say to them? I think that it's important to notice what's going on for your child, and also all behaviour is communication. So they're communicating with us the whole time in everything they do whether it's not sleeping, whether it's shouting, whether it's not wanting to, to read or all of those things are communication. Singing and dancing is communication. So everything, just noticing what they're up to, how they're experiencing the world, I think is really important. Mm. I would say particularly with the young children, um, because they often will have uh, tantrums, aren't they? That's the ages where they're, they, you, they don't get what they want. They scream, they shout. The difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, which is something that will happen for a neurodivergent person, is that a meltdown lasts about an hour. Whereas a tantrum, they push, they push, they they cry, they scream. When they realize, actually, this is not going to work, they move on eventually. And it's about us holding ground. For meltdowns, it's slightly different. And so we practice two things that are part of a thing called nonviolent resistance, which is a type of parenting that we we, we, we embrace a lot of different things, but this is a really good uh, way of working, which is to de-escalate. So in that moment where a child is really dysregulated and can't control their emotions, it's the, your main aim as a parent is to, direct, uh, to de-escalate, de-escalate that situation. Mm. Just de-escalate. There is no point in that moment saying, well, I've told you if you do this, you're going to get that. There's no point trying to teach them. They can't hear that. They are absolutely earless at that, this point. They cannot hear us. So it's to de-escalate but then what we do is strike while the iron's cold so a lot of parents will say I've de-escalated that makes you a passive parent if you don't do anything about it it makes you a passive parent but if you want to be proactive is to go back two hours later or a day later and say let's just go through what happened here can we just mm-hmm. unpick that a little bit you know mm-hmm. you wanted the ice cream before dinner okay so let's just talk is that logical now you're in a good now you're in a better space most children will be like, no, it's not. Okay, so let's have a look also. How could I have done better in the situation? That's the other thing is to discuss that. Would it be better if I hadn't? You asked me to walk away, so I did walk away. Did you actually mean that you wanted me to walk away? Because sometimes we say things we don't mean, right? Yeah. So it's to, uh, to talk through, to, to actually unpick what happened here. What we're doing by doing that is increasing our child's ability to communicate to communicate without getting dysregulated. The other Mm. thing is that sometimes when our children at all ages, once they start talking, particularly once they start school, is that there's so many things we need to work on that it can become overwhelming for us as parents. And so we have what we call a three box system, which is a big box of stuff that we like, yeah, okay, my child is doing this stuff. I'd really rather they wouldn't, but I'm just gonna kind of ignore that. The next box up is maybe three or four behaviors, you're like, yeah, I'm going to need to look at that. But actually the top box is one behavior. So that one behavior that is really challenging you, that's the one, maybe start with an easier one, but maybe work on to get into that one behavior that's really challenging. So for Nathan, who was very violent at age five and six, we would say, okay, we're going to work on hitting. We'd sit with him and go, right, right, Nate, this is what we're working on is the hitting thing. Everything else, we're just going to, we're not going to sweat the other stuff. We're just going to work on hitting. So yeah. you might come to my house. We'll be having a cup of tea and Nathan might get up, swear, slam a door, stomp upstairs and slam a bedroom door. Now you would see David and I look at each other and give each other thumbs up. You would think, what the hell's going on here? This is topsy-turvy world. Why have they seen that as good behavior? For us, we've got that small win. 
because our child just managed to regulate his emotions to the point where he wasn't hitting. So if he yes, has to do yeah. that, I see that. Reg- do you see what I mean? So we're working yeah. on one thing at a time. And I think when you've got children who've got lots of challenging behaviours, you can't do It's too much for that child to you think. You can't do all of it. You can't do all of it. You've got to take, you're in the long game. It's a much longer game. It's really interesting, isn't it? How we are all programmed to think and feel a certain way about how we think our child should behave. For example, you know, when they're giggling and laughing and playing and sharing, we're like all about the praise. And then the minute they step out of that space, and let's be honest, you cannot have light without dark. You cannot have day without night, whatever you want want to call it. So why are we so frightened to see our child step out of their happy emotion and into an emotion that feels maybe in our eyes a bit more volatile and they can't get hold of their emotion they can't control it it's like of course they can't they're five and six years old of course yeah. i can't even do it i'm fucking 40 yeah that's what i'm saying like it, they're, they're, no, but that's, it's true it's just human nature right isn't it a lot of you know a lot of it is human nature that you're not always going to be able to control yourself yeah. and also we're doing things differently from the way that my my generation's parents did it you know we were just hit and smacked if we behaved badly and yeah that's what pretty much every parent did you just got you got a good hiding and it meant that those emotions stopped which is why most of my generation is in therapy you know the point is we didn't learn what how do we work with emotions how do we work through all these very intense feelings that we're feeling so I, I wouldn't say that any feeling is wrong it's about how to work with your feelings and children have got to learn how to regulate those feelings, what those feelings are, and express those express feelings in ways that are helpful rather than harmful. But your child is, I'm in the long game. I don't need my child to learn that at two years old. They'll learn it, mm. two, three, four. It's not a race. If my child gets to five and it, they, they're suddenly doing it at five rather than at two, no one's going to ask them when they're an adult, where did you learn to control that? They're just going to mm. look at my child and go, you're a great kid, you're a great adult. So I think we need to stop the race. We need to stop the comparisons. We also need to redefine normal because someone decided, society decided what normal is. Like, hell no, let's just switch up normals. Normal can embrace a lot more. It can embrace my kids. There's so much that uh, of excite. There's so much exciting stuff that's held in people that are neurodivergent, and and we need to kind of look into that because I think. I think that's exciting. The world shouldn't be vanilla. The world should be no, like multi-flavored. God no. God no. Now, Carrie, you um, have spoken about this in depth, but you gave birth to three daughters who now identify as different genders. So we would absolutely love to hear a bit about that and um, and what that journey has been like for you guys. Yeah. it's So I, I think the first child was Arlo at, at around the age of 10. We were sitting at dinner and... Arlo suddenly piped up in, in very Arlo speak, said, I'm about to make an announcement. So we were like, okay, right, off you go. Do your best. <laughs> um, I am now a boy and my name is Ian. And the older two children jumped in and said, Ian, that's a terrible name. You need to call yourself a better. <laughs> right. 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really apologetic to anyone called Ian. Ian's a lovely name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think you can choose a name. Yeah. Their birth name began with I. So I think they just were like, at the age of 10, it's like, it has to begin with I. So they, the three of them just went around discussing names around this, this circle. And it, it, it was really good because it bought David and I some time because we were looking at each other like, okay. Um, and we had now have this expression in our house between David and I, which is fix your face, which is make sure you've thought about this stuff before it comes up so that you know how you're going to respond because your child your child will read your face. Your yeah. first, if your first expression is horror or shock, and then you say, "Well, that's lovely. You be whoever you want." They're not going to hear that's lovely. Be whoever you want. They're going to read that you were shocked and horrified. I think for for us, we we learned something there, and our older children bought us some time so that we were like, "Okay, right, let's just let's just work with this." So with with Arlo, their journey is slightly slightly different. We talk about this in in the book. I think that they were hating the fact that they were autistic. I think it came at a time where they realized they were different to other people. And so to begin with, I just sat with it and you have to wait for the right time to ask those questions. And there was one day, maybe a few months after that announcement where I said, okay, so I just want to check. You know that if you're a boy, you'll still be an autistic boy, right? 
And I could see Arlo's like a penny drop behind their eyes, like, oh, okay, hang on a minute. So they then talked about sexuality. And uh, as they got older, they began, so maybe this is over two years this conversation happened. They talked about their sexuality. And now at 17, they are gender, I would say gender fluid. So they've pretty been, they've been stuck on non-binary or non-binary mask male for about a year or so. So maybe that will stick now. I'm not sure. But with a 17 year old, you know, as parents, we just want to walk alongside that and support them through it to find out who they mm. emerge. Their their identity is still developing. And right. uh, because of being autistic, that might take a little bit longer for their identity to develop. And it's it's had its own onslaught, as we've talked about earlier. So we we just walk alongside that. That's very different to the other two. So Olive, just before lockdown, maybe a year before lockdown, I was cooking one day in the kitchen and they pushed a book towards me that said, I and a tiny writing they'd written in their journal. It said, I am non-binary. And I, in my very North London attitude, went, lovely, darling, of course you are. And then carried on cooking and completely ignored it. I wasn't curious. I didn't ask any follow-up questions. I just, I don't know what mood I was in. I think I was just distracted and carried on cooking and didn't ask them anything. So they kind of shut back down again and didn't mention it. And then a year later, Tylen said, Mum, I just need to share something with you. I am non-binary and I want you to use my pronouns, they, them. So I was like, oh, darling, this is amazing. Thank you. I'm going to go away and I'm going to learn all about it. And I went away and I learned all about it. And of course, Olive was like, what the hell's going on here? I say I'm non-binary and you completely ignore it. And Ty says it and now you're like reading up on it. So I think um, I think at that point I, I realised, okay, we've got something going on here with, with these children. And soon after that, Ty said, actually, I'm trans, I'm a man. And so we said, okay, I think the children's, those changes for, for David and I, or particularly for me as a mum, I think I had... I had a bit of a moment, a bit, a little bit of a wobble where I just thought, oh my gosh, I don't have daughters anymore. And that I'm quite a feminist. So for me, it was like, I w- always wanted daughters. But to be honest, my children are just my children. Yeah, yeah I was about to say that. They're the same as before they've yeah, made they're that same. Like right? they're Olive, yeah. Tynan and yeah. Arlo. If yeah. the, the gender thing is just, for me, it's, it's not a big deal. I, I think if I'd have thought about it before, I would have thought it would be. But when you've had children on Suicide Watch and when you've been through everything my children have been through, this is the least of my issues, to be honest. And so our thing is to support our children through it. And no parent, I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric out there about, you know, parents pushing their children towards medication. That is so not true. Ty um, went to our local um, clinic and was given an appointment after 18 months. And after 18 months, they said, this is just a pre-appointment to let you know if you want to transition, it's a 14-year waiting list. So it's hardly pushing Jesus. if there's a 14-year waiting list. I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. These are things that as parents, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Are you going to reject your child? Are you going to say, we don't accept it? Of course we're not. We love our kids. I love the very essence of my children. I love who they are. And if they, you know, all of us are sitting here, you guys are so beautiful. But if we dropped the flesh, with there's the part of us that's the inner part of us. For me, that inner part of me is not gendered. My flesh is gendered, but that inner part of me is probably genderless as well. So I, I look at my children and that's that that's the skin they're in. And I love yep. them for who they are. Do you think that the siblings were coming together and having those conversations before they came to you? Or at least in between the time that Olive and Ty had had those chats with you? Do you know, that's such a great question. And I'm often asked that. I'm often asked if they all just copied each other or... I don't think they have, but, and no, they weren't having those conversations as far as I know they weren't. And I would say that because in gender identity clinics, 26% of people accessing gender identity clinics are autistic. So, and also knowing, knowing that a lot of autistic people don't get diagnosed. So the the stats are probably higher than that. Yeah. Um, So this is something that may come up for our children. Our children are out the box anyway. So, um, this is who they are and I, I love who they are and I'm prepared to accept them as they are. Yeah, it's, it, this might sound silly, but I guess for the younger one, Arlo, when um, they made the announcement about being 
non-binary do you have to do anything like like do you have to tell school like what like what do you do yeah yeah that's again a brilliant questions because everyone imagines that you go gung-ho into doing something yeah yeah you just you just have to I think initially the first thing is just to make sure that you are honoring them by using the right pronouns that takes a while and you get it wrong for a while I think after that, it's to actually understand that it's more than their pronouns. It's actually their perception of the world and where they fit in the world. And that's been a, a deeper work for me to understand that. And I now do understand that, that there's been non-binary people for thousands of years in ancient histories. It's just that it's not been a subject that we've covered in the global north for a long while. So this is nothing new. It's not, oh, this is a new trendy thing. This is an ancient thing. So um, yeah, they just don't see themselves as being on that binary and to be honest, I do I do myself have challenges about the way that we make everything binary. I'm not talking about gender necessarily here, but, you know, I, I'm not in with black and white thinking. I'm not in with the goodies. There's good people and there's bad people. I, I'm not into that black and white thinking anyway. So once you kind of let go of that bi- binary, life looks slightly different. A lot of life is lived in the gray, is lived in that middle ground. Yeah, so yeah. and it, for my children, that includes the gender side of things. Now, you've mentioned your book. And um, and from the sounds of things, I mean, I can't wait to read it. Um, a Very Modern Family. Who needs to read this book, do you oh, think? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, it's for people that have got children that are autistic or whatever. Mm. Uh, yeah. But actually, it's way more than that. There are, This book is full of stories that will make you laugh. It will break your heart. Um, we've really put it out there. Um, but also suggestions for ideas for... It's not you must do this. It's not a telling telling you what to do book, but it's a these are the things we've learned along the way. And actually there's magic in there. There's so much in there that we've learned that will help any parent to mm. really feel confident again in their parents. Many of us as as uh, mums and dads just don't feel confident and I I would love to have our parents feeling like yeah, I'm back in control. I'm not being the assertive parent and I'm not being the passive parent. I'm holding that middle ground. I'm in control. I've got this. Brilliant. Great. Thank you. Um, well, before Thank we you. say goodbye, because I feel like yeah. you would definitely, apart from the very modern family, but we, um, which I think could be at the top of the, um, you know, product, product, product list. list. Yeah. Um, are there any other products for people listening that would be really, really helpful? Yeah. Any resources? Do you know, you guys are so wonderful. I love the fact that you have uh, like a product thing and I am like the last person to, to think about a product thing. But if you are raising a child beyond the age of 11 the find my phone app that's the most oh, yes. that's, that's the most that's thing. I use it on my husband yeah exactly <laughs> so forget all of the snazzy brags you need the find my phone app that is like to be fair I need that for my life I have one in my like an air tag in my purse I have one yeah. on my key so actually I yeah. can just find all the things I need personally so I'll be looking yeah. forward to seeing my kids on there as well That'd yeah be like you can see where they are when they say I'm in I'm in wood green you're like no you're not you're in Camden yeah <laughs> I know because I can see. Yeah, the thing there's always been two absolute. The answer is always yes to these two requests from my kids. One is, can I go to the fridge that only has fruit and veg in it? Yes, anytime you want. Munch on that stuff as much as you want. Yeah, and the other one is, if ever you want a book, the answer is always yes. So my children love Waterstones. They love bookshops. They love going online and getting books. So books, I love, you know, yeah. if you want to push a product for me, an afternoon in Waterstones is like one of my favorite things to do. Just go browsing. Uh, and my kids love doing that. You and I are soul sisters because I love books. And my, one of my favorite things to do is go walking around a bookstore. And then I remember dating this guy. And then he once gave me a Kindle for my Christmas present. And I was like, what's the fuck is this? And they were like, he was like, this is, you don't need to buy a book again. I was like, I love books. You've yeah. ruined it. <laughs> about your kindle sorry to be ungrateful don't buy sorry kindle anyone <laughs> listening jesus i've got i've got more my next one is um leave musical instruments if you can buy even the cheapest of musical instruments don't care about wear and tear and leave them lying around your house your kids will pick them up and they'll stop playing them so music the 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 curl boss is really important anyone with afro children with uh, afro hair Curl Boss is one of my favourite products uh, because all my kids, I have to use that one. It's a spray or it's a, a brush it's or? It's a gel. It's a gel. It's a gel. Oh, okay. Yeah. But okay. I mean, I've got, you know, I mean, my my products literally take up like 1% of the bathroom 
and my children's products. And when David has more <laughs> hair, they take up like literally every shelf known to man. And they are suckers for a new product. Oh, Carrie, that thank you brilliant. so much thank for coming you. on. And thank you for being so honest. And thank you for also making it really easy to ask questions because I yeah. think sometimes there is fear around talking about something that is outside of your norm. And actually, we all just want to be more educated to have a better understanding yeah, have, on yeah, what exactly. different people's setups look like. And thank you. Real. Yeah. Thank you so Lovely much. Lovely to have you on. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, so much to take away from that. But I mm. just thank you so much to Carrie because that was such a brilliant conversation. I really enjoyed it and I hope you guys did as well. Yeah, definitely. And also can't wait to read her book to properly kind of go through it because it's not just, you know, if you look at it and think, well, it's, it's you know, potentially I'm not the right person to read it or my family setup doesn't look like that. You know what? The modern family, we all have a modern family and us, our families all look different. So, I think it's going to be a fantastic read. Thank you to Carrie for coming on and being so honest and open with us. As always, we'd love you to rate, review, subscribe, and please give the podcast a follow so you don't miss an episode. Yeah, and share it with a friend as well um, because there are so many episodes. So if you've got someone who's pregnant, that they, they'll have loads to go back and listen to. Um, and yeah, let's just keep the podcast growing because the bigger it gets, the better guests that will come on. <laughs> Win-win. Um, yeah, but any feedback, drop us a DM on Instagram. We're on at Made by Mummers and we'll be back on Friday. Made by Mummers is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the lovely Charlotte Mason. Insanity Group. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.